Well, again, welcome and good morning to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is a delight to have you here with us in whatever way you are able to be present, whether that's here in person, which it is delightful to hear your voices, to see you, to be around you. Um, but it's also, uh, it's, it's very cool to know that we can still connect online, and so we're thankful for those of you who are doing that also. Um, yeah, we're just happy that you're here with us in whatever way um, you can be. Um, let's, uh, let's, from that kind of place of delight and thankfulness, let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence with us. Um, I ask that we would have a sense of your presence. Um, God, that we would have a, a moment of encounter with you um, as you meet with us today. God, in knowing that with our own technology, we can, we can overcome distance and we can, we can do all these things with uh, remote meeting and, and being able to have transportation to bring us uh, places, and those are great, but for you, those are, those are nothing. You can dwell amongst us all together, and so I pray that we would just know that this morning. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are uh, deep in a sermon series that is called Discipleship, Finding Our Way in Jesus. And we've had some kind of quotes that we've kind of been allowing to guide some of our thoughts along with Scripture. Um, And I want to run through those. Uh, Some of them have been consistent, um, and and there's a couple that we've added in here and there, but I want to run through those again. The first one is by a gentleman named Esau McCauley, and he says, uh, as all of Paul's letters make clear, Christian discipleship is about showing how the implications of the gospel spread out in a thousand directions. Um, And and every time I've read that, I think of of a source of light, just emitting light in every direction. And and in each of those sort of beams of light is like discipleship moving through each one of us, each individual that knows Jesus and seeks Jesus and lives has this sort of, uh, yeah, it works that way. Um, Also, uh, Grace G. Soon Kim and Graham Hill had this quote, uh, we must not root Christian identity in nationalism, ethnicity, partisan politics, socio-political economic status, gender, and other such things. Instead, we must root Christian identity in discipleship to Jesus Christ. This identity is formed through a vision of what it means to be a distinct people with an alternative ethic, politic, and life together. And every time I've read that, I'm just so caught by this, this, this idea that, that uh, Christian identity must be rooted in discipleship to Jesus Christ and following Jesus Christ and embodying Jesus Christ, that that has to be what it's rooted in, not anything else. And then uh, from Caesar Kalinowski, uh, discipleship is the process of moving from uh, unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life. Um, and so just in case it wasn't covered in the other quotes and those other ideas, this, this impacts everything we do. And so we've also landed on uh, Acts 17, 28 as sort of a guiding verse uh, for in him. And I, I shifted that to Jesus. You can say in God, in the Holy Spirit, uh, in Jesus, we live, move, and have our being. Everything we do, everything we are is found in Jesus. And as we've explored this, as we've kind of launched off of those, what we've discovered is that following Jesus um, uh, has this aspect to it, a student-disciple relationship, uh, a 
teacher-rabbi relationship, where what we've talked about is that the idea was that it's not just the student is trying to learn the ideas, memorize some doctrines or some rules, but it's actually asking the question, can you live that life? Can you embody what's being taught to you? Can you know why do they walk down this road instead of that road? Why do they get up at this time instead of that time? Why do they eat this instead of that? It's not just the teachings. It's the entire life. So we've looked at what that means. And as we've gone through that, we discovered there were three sort of identities that come along with that as as followers of Christ. We are uh, part of a family. We are servants and we are missionaries or sent ones. And we just recently started kind of another kind of three-part sub-series where we're going to be looking at what we call the ways. And so last week, Ben led us through what the way of dependence, what it means to be dependent upon Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the way of encounter, and next week, the way of confrontation. Um, and so, and then we're going to finish out this series looking at, I think, some of the natural rhythms that flow out of all of these things. What does this then do in our day-to-day life? So today we're addressing uh, encounter, and and what I want to say before we really get into this is that every single one of us encounters God, whether we acknowledge it or not, and that following God, I think, means being aware of this as often as we can, attending to the presence of God that we find in our world, in our lives, and in the life of everything on this planet, all of creation, the entire cosmos. And when we read Scripture, When we read our Bibles, what we find is this entire thing is about encounters. It's just story after story, moment after moment of encounters. From the dawn of the very first sun to the closing moments of all things into a rebirth and a resurrection, a new heaven and new earth. It's all encounters with God. And it gets to every aspect of what it means to be part of that. It's sensory. We see, hear, taste, touch, and smell in these encounters. I want to look at uh, Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, um, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Now that word there for taste is uh, a Hebrew word, te'am, and uh, it's, it occurs 10 times in the Old Testament. Nine of those times, it's talking specifically about tasting like food, like I tasted honey uh, is, is one of the examples. But one time, it means uh, to sense. And so if, the, um, if it seems weird to you to say taste and see, because lots of times we don't taste and then see, um, but if that seems weird to you, it's, it could just as well be translated uh, sense and perceive, sense and understand. Um, But as most of you will find out today, uh, some of us here being Italian, we land heavily on the taste side of things. Um, That's one example. Um, If you read anything written by John, the the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, letters he wrote, uh, or uh, the letter Revelation, um, just pay attention to the number of times there is a sensory encounter with God. And you will find they are all over the place. Just reading um, 1st John, Uh, 1, 1 through 4, we're going to get a bunch of them. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Thus, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Sensory, right? But because we're not just a bunch of senses, there's other levels too. It's psychological. If we look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I love about this is it also includes the body. Right? There's part of this. It's what we do with our bodies but it's also what is going on with our mind. But psychological, psychological aspect is not just kind of our mind, our intellect. It's also our personality. It's how we think about ourselves. It's self-awareness, self-reflection. And so if we look at Matthew uh, 7, 3 and 4 as one example, we find Jesus says, um, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? This encounter with Jesus is an invitation to, to sort of take a look at where we're at. What's going on with me? What's going on with this person, this relationship, that psychological aspect of being self-aware and being able to examine ourselves and reflect and, and, and change. But it's not just that. So we encounter God through our emotions. And you could read tons of verses. I didn't, I didn't select a verse for this one because I, I had a moment recently that I think reflected it well too. I was sitting with a really good friend um, and, and they were just in this moment of amazement about how God could listen to them. That God the God, the God who created the universe would actually attend to them intently and eagerly. I was reflecting on this further when like a day later I was sitting and I was looking at some emails and stuff on my phone and uh, one of my kids approached and said, oh dad, I want to tell you about this. And I could have stopped and said, hey, hang on just a sec, let me finish this. Or I could have said, yeah, 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 and put it down. But I kept it there. I wasn't scrolling anymore, but I was still kind of divided in my attention. And this moment that this friend had told me about, we were talking, how God listens intently, undistracted, just was upon me. And I was like, I'm not even doing that for my own child. And it invited me in this moment to think even further. Who are the people that I don't listen to? This is my own child who I love. Who are the people that I don't love, I don't agree with, that I don't listen to, I don't give attention to? And remembering that God listens to us, connects to us, engages with us fully, intently, without distraction. And in those moments, I can sense in my own emotions the sense of being the beloved that is delighted in. 
but it's also spiritual. If we look at Psalm 42, um, verses 6 and 7, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. The language here of deep calls to deep is a reference to the the reality that being created in the image of God, who is spirit, we have a spirit. And that deep, that connection of spirit to spirit, we cry out in that way to the one who can understand, the one who can hear, the one who can listen intently, completely, and wholly, undivided. Our spirit cries out. There's also imagination if we look at ephesians 3 14 through 20 we uh we we get this moment from paul where he's writing to this church he has a relationship in ephesus and he's writing to the people there and he's talking about how he's praying for them but the great thing is is that paul often when he does that he's having an encounter with god in that very moment and he gets caught up in it and we get to come along with that and he says this for this reason i kneel before the father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever I love that verse because so much of what we've been talking about is present in there. There's, there's strengthening, there's emotion, there's psychological aspects, right? There's spirit. It's all very present. And there's this call for our imaginations, right? Some may say, well, if God can do more than, uh, do more than we can ask or imagine, then why bother? Where I feel like it's an invitation to say, no, let your imagination run. Like, let it go. God's going to meet you in that, and God's going to go, you know what, that's pretty awesome, what you just imagined. But guess what? We're going to go further. I know you've never even thought it possible, but that's what we're going to do. I think the cool thing in these is we get to respond through these same avenues. And the last one I want to mention is in 1 Kings 19, and it's this moment where Elijah, one of the prophets of God, has just gone through this huge thing where uh, there's kind of this battle between God and, uh, and, and this God of another group of people called Baal, and, and, and God's victorious in this kind of miraculous way. But then Elijah, out of that, I think, makes a, a misstep and kills a bunch of people. And uh, it never says that God told him to do that. Uh, You can interpret that however you want. I feel like Elijah kind of went on his own there. Uh, But so it ends up he's got to leave because now they're coming after him and they want to kill him. And he ends up hiding in this cave and outside the cave and he's kind of praying for God to show up. Outside the cave there's wind and it talks about the wind being so strong it's like pulling it's like tearing things apart and there's thunder and lightning and storms and fire and all this just 
intense stuff, but it says God's not in any of those. And then it stops, and there's this silence. It says in that thin silence, that's where God is. And so that's why when Brian sung that song, Teresa, that talks about Mother Teresa's own struggles to know where God is, and maybe I'll find God in the hurting and the dying. And God seems like, Jesus seems like he's always like on the horizon. She sees him for a second, but then gone, or maybe not at all. Even in the silence, even in the not sensing, God is still there. And these encounters, um, I see them as catalysts for transformation. And I have a story I want to read um, uh, as an example of this. Um, it's about a, a woman named Zilpah Elah, who was uh, born in 1790 and, and passed in, seven, in 1873. And she was an itinerant preacher in uh, the United States and in the UK. Uh, she was born uh, a free uh, African-American in the States at this time, um, but there were tons of African-Americans that were enslaved in this time, and she was constantly dealing with this. Um, this is from a book called African-American Readings of Paul, Reception, Resistance, and Transfer Transformation by Lisa M. Bowens. I highly recommend it. As you can see, I've like, it's like sticky note, uh, <laughs> beyond sticky note uh, use there. But um, so this is uh, Lisa M. Bowen's sort of recounting uh, part of her story, of, of, of uh, Zilpha Elah's story, with some of uh, Elah's own quotes in there. And I'll try to let you know when the quotes are by uh, not air quoting, but saying, you know, here's a quote or something like that. Uh, but on one particular preaching occasion, a young man in the audience, upon seeing Elah, ascended the pulpit and acted unseemly. Elah described his behavior as indecorous and, quote, as the people came in, he pointed with his finger to me, tittering and laughing. Yet she notes that before the meeting ended, quote, his laughter was turned to weeping. After the service, during a dinner conversation with her hosts, she learns that the young man is a renowned slave driver who was also a well-known drunk and that, quote, he had never been previously known to evince so much serious attention to a sermon as he had paid to Elah's discourse, and that his kneeling during the concluding prayer was a matter of surprise to them also. Upon hearing this information, Elah explains how she felt in Pauline terms. Quote, my mind was greatly moved with evangelic interest for this young man, and like Paul for the Galatians, I travailed in birth for him. It's, it's, it's a, a quote from Galatians 4.19. The significance of this maternal imagery by Paul in Galatians 4.19 has been noted most ardently by female biblical scholars. For Paul employs the language, this language to signify an apocalyptic transformation, the inbreaking of God's divine invasion of liberation. Paul's intense labor for the Galatians generates Elah's own intense labor for the young man whom she believes needs salvation. Ironically, she labors for his freedom from sin, although he is a slave driver, denies freedom to her own people. Elah's adoption of Pauline language here points to the travail for transformation. Her life and ministry demonstrate that not only do blacks have souls, but black women have spiritual wombs with which they give birth to apocalyptic realities, such as the conversion of an oppressor whose slavery to sin enables participation in the sin of slavery. Elah's travail for this man signals black women's significant role in bringing about, bringing about physical and spiritual freedom to all in need of liberation. 
This is exactly what discipleship is. That Zilpah Elah didn't just read the Bible and say, that's a story about someone else. And didn't even ask, how does this apply to my life? But she found herself in the story. She found a voice in Paul's voice. I think sometimes when we read scripture, we see it as about and for someone else. That was Paul, that was Mary, that was Jesus. It's not for me and it's not, certainly not me. But discipleship is embodying the life of Jesus, the way of Jesus. It is in Jesus that we live, move, and have our being. And so we find Zilpah Elah transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then there's an opportunity for the people around her, including those that would oppress her, to be transformed also. I'm going to tell a story that I told seven years ago here. And it... Uh, it's a super personal story, and, uh, and, and some of you may remember it, and so I'm sorry if it's, if it's uh, you know, redundant, but it, as I was getting ready for this, it was just heavy on my heart. Um, when I was uh, five years old, the, the story is called A 48-Year Encounter with God. When I was five years old uh, in kindergarten, we were given the task to make a butterfly, right, to, to draw it, to color it, um, and so here is the butterfly. It's not the exact one, but that's in my brain, I remember it. That's pretty much what it looked like. Um, as we were working on this, the teacher came around and was, was checking on people. When she got to me, she said, oh, no, no, Greg, that's, that's wrong. Butterflies don't have two different pattern wings. It's got to be the same. Now, I don't remember. The next event I remember, and, and this is going to be shocking, uh, is that the teacher slapped me in the face. And that, that did happen. As I get older, I do acknowledge that it's very possible that something happened between me being told my butterfly wings weren't right and being slapped in the face, um, but I don't remember that. And so in the story, in the flow of the narrative, it is make butterflies, told it's wrong, slapped in the face. And so I came away from it like, I was slapped in the face because my butterfly wings were wrong. Now, this did a couple of things to me. One, for a long time, I sort of told myself, and again, as you're an adult, you put adult thoughts into your kid memories. This is, as I look at the pattern of my life, this is what I see being worked out. Um, that I, I, it was a long time before I ever put myself out to other people creatively because that was where I got hurt. So I would do artistic stuff for myself, maybe for my family. Um, maybe I would show it to my family, but I didn't share it with my friends. I didn't share it with other people. Uh, it was much later in life where that started to become available to me again. Um, but what it also did was it stirred in me uh, this thing where I, I was like, I'm not gonna let other people be treated like this, right? Especially the ones who, if, if, if if it wasn't a cool kid or a star athlete or the brilliant kids, um, my group of friends was kind of this mutt group of like one or two from each of the main groups. And, and, and we had things that made us fit in those groups, but a thing that didn't is we didn't like being categorized like that. And so that stuff didn't matter to us. And that carried on into college. And when I became a follower of Jesus, one of the things God did was use that and say, you know, Greg, you, you seem to have this ability in you to, to love people of, of all different kinds of backgrounds and beliefs, and it doesn't matter. 
to you. Everyone can be loved and cared for and listened to and attended to and befriended. And so that's what I'm going to do with you. In 2014, Rich and I were part of a certification course at the Seattle School of uh, Theology and Psychology. It was a year-long course, uh, and, and you may have heard us use terms in, in, in here like faithful presence, and that's kind of where these things came from, was that time there, and we were being challenged about what it meant to be a, a participant in a place and a space and to know that space and place and the other people there so that you, it's not that you're coming in to take over a place, but you're coming in to, to bring about the flourishing of that place for everyone there through what God's already doing there. It was a great time. Some of the things that they were asking us to do were really different than, uh, than what other people were doing, what other churches were doing. And by the end of the course, I was actually quite discouraged because I felt like, oh, we've tried some of these things and they weren't really going the way I had hoped or expected. And so I, I, I went to God with this. Um, and I, I remember saying like, yeah, is this is this really the right thing? Did I just waste this whole year doing this? Was this a waste of time and money like to go and be part of this program? It's been great and it's nice, but was this, is this really what you have for us? Is it what you have for me? And, uh, and I was quite down. Now, the day before our last meeting, every time we met together, we're supposed to bring an artifact, something that represented something that God was speaking to you or something uh, that could sort of symbolize something going on in your life. And I didn't have anything. It was the day before. Um, and, and so, you know, that on top of this kind of discouragement and, and really I just didn't want to go uh, and be part of it. I would go because that's what you do. You fulfill your commitments and things like that. But in, internally I was like, uh, it wouldn't be bad if I got sick or something, you know, those kinds of thoughts. Um, but that same day, my, uh, my youngest daughter, Mariella, gave me a picture that she had drawn, and she said, Papa, this is something I drew just for you, and here's the picture she drew for me. That's the exact picture. Yeah. Um, and I instantly sensed God's presence as I realized that's not even two different patterns. It's four, <laughs> right? And, um, and I felt God saying that, Greg, you're in the right place. I've got this. I've got you. Don't forget, you're my beloved, made in my image, my child in whom I delight. This is the right place for you. These are the right things for you because I am here with you. And in this encounter, I realized God knew what happened to me when I was five. Everything in between then and that moment and everything into the future not only knew about it, but was present in it. And I'm still learning things from this moment. It's not like it's just, oh, I'm revisiting that and it's fine. Every time I think about this, there's something new, even if it's a new way to see how something happened or a completely new thing. Because that was an invitation for me in that moment, not only to know that that moment I was in was the right place that God had for me, but it was an invitation to keep on pressing. Hey, Greg, you know what? Two patterns of butterfly wings, they don't offend me. In fact, you could do four. In fact, you could do more. Why stop? Why not keep going, keep following, keep growing? Don't stop. I've got
got you. I'm with you. I've made the way, and it's the way of encounter. And the last thing I want to add to this is in these moments, whether it's my story, Zilpah Elah's story, the stories we looked at in Scripture, I think they happen through people's being honest with God. Right? These moments we find ourselves um, pressing, uh, delighting, whatever it is, but we're honest. I just watched an interview with Eugene Peterson, the author of uh, The Message, and he was talking about his process of writing that. The, it's his paraphrase of uh, the Bible, and he wrote it because he found his, the, the, the church he was pastoring it was just hard for people to access even the, the English translation. The language was kind of old and clunky, and he was like, it's just not connecting with them. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it, and he was an amazing uh, Hebrew and Greek scholar, and so he was able to do it pretty well. And he even said, and I'm just doing my best. Um, but he said it started because he was retranslating a psalm for one person because he wanted them to know that praying was not being nice before God. The Psalms aren't nice, they're not pretty. And he says, I think what we're trying for is honesty, which is very hard in our culture. And that really struck me because I think it's true. We, we try so hard to put on a, a, a front, a disguise, a, an air of, of things that, that, you know, this, oh, this doesn't bother me. Um, oh, I want to be with this issue, with that issue. I want to, you know, of the way we want to be. And sometimes we lose who we really are. And so just an encouragement to be honest with God uh, in these encounters. Now, I want to invite the worship team up uh, and, and, and let you know the prayer team is going to be available for you as we continue on with the service uh, for anything you want uh, to have prayer for in, in just a moment. Um, I'm going to pray. You'll have time to reflect on some of the things we've talked about. We'll uh, sing a song and close with a benediction. Um, but it, lots of times we, we ask for questions uh, give you questions to answer, but this morning I want to do it a little bit differently um, where I just want to give an opportunity to sit and maybe this morning has been an encounter with God for you. I hope so. But I want you to sit in a moment where you, you can recall an encounter with God. And whether that's this one right now or some other one from the past, that's fine. But what I want you to do is not just, not just think about it, but I want you to try to immerse yourself in it. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to remember and sort of explore that, that space of that memory, that encounter. Were there other people present? Who were they? What were the, the sights? What was the setting? Were you standing, sitting? Were you on the phone? Were you talking in person? Was there anybody else there? What, what, what was the feel of the, if you were standing, the feel of your feet on the ground? What was the weather like? What were the sounds that were around? Were there other sensory things? Were there smells? Were there other things you felt? And I want you to rest into that for a moment. And as much as you can, I want you to relive that encounter. Is there something there for you today? Maybe it's something that's just for you. Maybe it's something to share. But I want you to just sit in that and remember that. I'm going to pray, like I said, and then we'll have some time for you to continue uh, in this moment. Um, and uh, then we'll close with a song. And, but my, my prayer is super simple. Uh, Jesus, 
please help us. Help us remember, help us attend to you well uh, in, in this moment. Amen.